0: Welcome to the Real Estate Espresso podcast, your morning shot of what's new in the world of real estate investing. I'm your host, Victor Menashe. This is the weekend edition where we interview notable people from the world of real estate investing. Today is no exception. We have a great guest, but first a quick chat about raising capital. Today's show is brought to you by the secrets of successful syndication. If you've exhausted your own funds to invest in real estate, you've brought your own real estate career to a halt developing the skill to raise capital legally, reliably, and professionally might be just what you need to unlock the ceiling on your investment portfolio. This two-day workshop maps out how to transform your business into one where you enlist the help and capital of others to scale your business. It's hosted by my good friends Robert Helms and Russell Gray of the Real Estate Guys Radio Show. March 27th and 28th in Dallas, Texas it will be a chance for us to meet in person. For more information, go to victorjm.com slash events. That's victorjm.com slash events. We are back here on the Weekend Edition. We interview notable people from the world of real estate investing. Today is no exception. We have a great guest all the way from Ottawa, Canada, my good friend, Bruce Firestone. Welcome to the show. Hi, Victor. Thanks for having me on. Great to have you here. So, Bruce, there's so many things we could talk about, but let's go back a little bit in history to a project that you were quite well known for, and that was the expansion of the NHL into Ottawa, bringing back the Ottawa Senators. After a hiatus of many decades of no hockey in Ottawa, you brought the Ottawa Senators back to Ottawa. And in particular, maybe let's focus on some of the difficulties that you went through in particular, to secure the franchise?
1: Well, Victor, it's a project I'm, I'm known for, but it's now a generation ago. So, uh, you know, we're looking back in time, but but some of the lessons do, do apply. But let me just tell you, uh, and your listeners first, how we got involved in NHL hockey. Uh, you know, uh, I ran a, a land development and real estate company, and we had land development where we were producing subdivisions with you know, 800,000 uh, homes in it. We would put roads, water mains, and sewers in that. It was a very successful business. And we were also building office buildings and shopping plazas and other real estate back in the 80s, it would have been. And when we started out, I was a young man in 1983, uh, the company had about $350,000 in revenue. So it was pretty small and by 1992, so nine years later, it was around 120 million years. So, so we were doing well, we were making money, and we'd put a, a, aside a few tens of millions of dollars of cash. But there was something going on in the marketplace. I, I think you're old enough to remember interest rates in the 80s went from a few percentage points to I think they peaked at 18 or 19%. Exactly. Our uh, triple net rents in the office space that we were leasing went from $19 a square foot uh, triple net per year in 1983 to $6 by 1987. That would be like you making $17 or $19 an hour, uh, you know, and then five or six years later, you're making $6 an hour. That's not a good direction for your career. And so in 1987, I thought we should pivot. And so we did pivot. We went into things that were in demand, like mini storage, if you know what I'm talking about. Uh, We went into mini offices, which are uh, like today, you would call them co-working spaces. We were in a a business called the Presidential Executive Travel Apartment business, which was furnished apartments. It was kind of Airbnb before there was Airbnb. Uh, we were building lots of industrial condos. I, again, there wasn't a lot of competition in that field. And it was kind of like house building, but I preferred it to house building because our clients were commercial as opposed to home homeowners. And we were building small um uh, plazas as well, again, to avoid some of the big mules or the big uh, competitors, people like insurance funds, banks, pension funds, REITs, publicly traded companies who, who had a cost of capital, even when interest rates were 18 or 19%, Victor, they still had a cost of capital of around 2%. It would be like you would be challenging Usain Bolt to a 100-meter race. You, you and I probably, well, you might win, but I certainly wouldn't.
0: You know, it's so interesting. A lot of people think about the business of sports as being about sports, when in fact, it's not a very well-kept secret in Ottawa that bringing the Ottawa Senators back to Ottawa was as much about NHL hockey as it was about real estate and the development of the lands around the arena.
1: I think that's true. And I get criticized for that. But, but here's what happened. I, I was playing pickup hockey. You know, I mean, I used to play at a little higher level, but as you get older, we were playing pickup hockey. And two of my key uh, staff, Cyril uh, leader who became one of the co-founders of the Senators and Randy Sexton, and who's still involved with the NHL, uh, they, we were playing at the old Lions Arena. It doesn't exist anymore. It was torn down. And afterwards, I said to the boys, why did you stay back after we had had a game And I've got a couple of things I'd like to talk to you about. And so I said to them, look, guys, the price signals that we're getting from the market are telling us don't build any more office buildings. Uh, We just can't. And Cyril Leader, who was a CA, chartered accountant, and Randy Sexton, who was an MBA from Clarkson in the States, didn't need any more. You know, teaching than that. They, they knew it. They could see the, the writing on the wall. So I said, we have to pivot the business. And I said, there's one of two directions I'd like to go in. The first direction I, I mentioned was I'd like to do more with our mini storage or public storage business. I thought that was going to be a big business. And it turned out I was right about that. And the and then the Cyril already said, well, what's the other idea? I said, what if we were to get an NHL franchise? I think the NHL is getting ready to expand again. And if they do, I think Ottawa might be big enough. That we could, uh, uh, you know, we could apply and maybe get an NHL expansion franchise. And Randy, right away, I mean, he's a hockey guy, you know, he plays hockey at a much higher level than I ever did. And, you know, right away, as an NBA, he said, Yeah, let's do it. Cyril, who's a bit more cautious, said, Well, wait a second, Bruce, how much is it going to cost? And I said, I, I don't know. It will probably be about what NBA franchises were going for at that time, which was around 35 million U.S. dollars. It turned out to be 50 million. Today, it would be 650 million. But back then, it was 50 million U.S. dollars. So the next question Cyril asked was, how do we pay for it? Which is a good question to ask. I think you'd agree. And I said, here's what my plan is. It's very simple. I said, let's buy 600 acres of land on a major highway in in Ottawa. Hopefully we can buy it fairly inexpensively and let's uh, bid for an NHL expansion franchise, build an NHL caliber arena in the middle of this, drive up the value of the 500 acres that we don't need and sell that. And the profit that we make on the land is going to pay for the franchise fee. At least that was the theory. And in a way, it kind of worked, uh, Victor. You know, we bought uh, 600 acres for 12000 an acre, which if your listeners can multiply, (laughs) it's around $7.2 million that we paid uh, for 600 acres, about a square mile of land. But uh, today, it's trading for the last trade, I think, was Cabela's, which is an outdoor outfitter shop was I think around 832,000 an acre or about eight or nine or 10 acres. So it's gone from 12,000 an acre to 832,000 an acre. So the concept was right.
0: I love that. I love that. And yeah, the concept absolutely was right. Now, of course, the path from A to B is rarely a straight line. And in your case, it wasn't either. There were a lot of obstacles you had to overcome. And I think there's a lot of powerful lessons in those obstacles. Yeah,
1: yeah. Well, I thank you for that. There were a few. One of the things that I had done to get ready to go down to Palm Beach at the NHL winter meetings in 1990 to ask the NHL to consider Ottawa for an expansion franchise is I had met with the premier, then premier of the province of Ontario, uh, liberal, uh, David Uh, Peterson. I I don't belong to any political party, and I'm not very political, so he just happened to be the Liberal Premier, and I asked uh, Mr. Peterson, our Premier, for three things. Number one, we needed a new interchange on a 400-series highway, and I said, we can't actually build that because the day after we finish, we have to turn it over to the Ministry of Transportation for Ontario, basically to the government, for a tuning for two dollars. Your American listeners might not know what a tuny is. It's it's two dollars. So basically, it's public infrastructure, and the reason we can't we can't build it, uh, Victor, you will understand immediately, is that you can't put financing on something you don't own. Exactly. And it would be like me uh, setting you my mortgage payments. You probably wouldn't really like that. I said we can't actually finance a Premier. You said, "Hmm, that's interesting." The second thing I asked for was I said, we have applied for a rezoning of 600 acres. And we're not asking the government of Ontario for any special favors. We'll go through all the the, the studies and the procedures that are required for rezoning. But what we would like you to do, if possible, is to give this a priority. For Eastern Ontario, this is like a Honda motor car plant would be for Toronto, right? I mean, Toronto's got a big auto industry. And so I said, you know, we just don't want to get held up behind Victor's uh, uh, expansion of his backyard deck. So, so can we have a priority given to it? No special treatment, but just make sure we get through the process. And then the third thing I said, uh, Premier, I'd like you to come down to Palm Beach in December and tell the NHL Board of Governors what a great place Ontario is to invest. Because at that time, Victor, Quebec had, the province of Quebec had two uh, uh, NHL teams, uh, uh, Quebec City and Montreal, Alberta had two in Calgary and Edmonton, but Ottawa only, uh, sorry, Ontario only had one, which was, of course, in Toronto. And he said, is that all you need, Bruce? Because he was concerned at that time that this would turn into another Sky Dome. Uh, so the Sky Dome was, uh, was uh, under construction around the same time that we did the Palladium, a little bit beforehand, I think. And the uh, province of Ontario had been told that it would be a $150 million project, and they went $500 million over budget.
0: Well, they added a hotel in the middle of the stadium, which is what blew that exactly,
1: up. Exactly, exactly. Yeah, I, I, exactly. I mean, while those thing's coming out of the ground, said, so, ah, "Wouldn't it be great to have that hotel?" So the budget was five hundred million dollars over budget, and I guess Mister Peterson was concerned that we might be asking for something similar. I said, "No, Premier, the private money will pay for the team, The private money will pay for the building. We just need a, a new interchange, which was about thirty million dollars." So he, he uh, you know, he's a deal maker and kind of a gunslinger kind of guy. I liked him, and he said, "Sure, you have a deal." But then that summer of 1990, Mr. Peterson did what no premier in the province of Ontario has ever done and probably will never do again. He called an election two and a half years early because he was high in the polls. And it turned out he lost uh, by a few uh, seats here and there for a perfect breakdown of votes. And Mr. Ray, who was leader of the NDP, came to power. And the NDP was very strong in Hamilton. And at the same time that we were applying for an NHL franchise, Hamilton was applying. Milwaukee, Tampa, St. Petersburg, Seattle, Houston, Milwaukee, I think I may have already said Milwaukee, and there may be, have been a few others. There were eight or nine or 10 bidders, but Hamilton was one of them, and the NDP was very strong, had strong representation in Hamilton, not so much in Ottawa. So Mr. Ray decided to back the Hamilton bid, and so he, uh, about a week before we had to go to Palm Beach and present to the NHL, he withdrew uh, Ontario's support. Uh, for what we were doing in Ottawa for the Palladium, which is now Canadian Tire Centre. So he sent me a letter saying, you know, uh, uh, Ontario's in a budget deficit and... uh and, you know, we've got to be careful. So, sorry, we can't build your interchange. Uh, you'll have to do that yourself. Uh, number two, I'm so busy, I can't come to Palm Beach to tell the NHL Board of Governors what a great place Ontario is to invest. And number three, we're going to use all the powers of the province of Ontario to oppose the rezoning of the Palladium lands. Yours very true. Uh, yours very truly, Bob Ray.
0: Wow. What was that like at that time? Where you, Did you think that you, you now had an impossible hill to climb?
1: Uh, Victor, you know me a little bit, and uh, people who know me well uh, know that uh, I'm not easily discouraged. And I thought, actually, even though maybe Mr. Ray didn't agree, I thought, actually, his opposition might work in our favor, and it turns out it did. Um, Hamilton had an existing arena, which was then called the Cops Coliseum, but it had missed out. It had been built just a few years too early. So again, from a real estate point of view, our architect, who was Gino Rossetti from Detroit, who had built the uh, Palace of Auburn Hills for the Detroit Pistons, he had a, a really big insight, which was if you could put in three rings of suites, one of the lower level, one of the mid-level, and one of the upper level, you could rent those out for five and ten year lease terms to very good companies, you know, major banks, major telecommunications companies, and you could secure five- and ten-year revenue stream. For example, at the Canadian Tire Center, which, as I said, was started off by being called the Palladium, we had about 140 of those suites, 100 of which we pre-leased. And this would be just as true uh, if you were building a condo tower today, or you're building a retail plaza today, or an office building, you would like to have some pre-sold or pre-leased. So we had uh, pretty least 100 of those at an average of about a $100,000 a year for 10 years. So you figured out that's a $100 million of guaranteed income. So all of a sudden, number one, you ended up with a much more intimate and uh, vibrant kind of a building. And number two, you actually had locked in revenues uh, that you could finance against. So, anybody who's done any kind of real building, any kind of real estate portfolio, whether residential or commercial, would certainly understand that.
0: I love that. I love that. It's such a brilliant strategy. It's exactly like you said it's like pre selling units in a condo before you break ground for construction.
1: Right. So, everything was pointing in the right direction direction. And Hamilton didn't have any of those private suites. I think they might have had 10 or 12 private suites, but they certainly didn't have 140. So even though they had a building that could seat, uh, you know, I think 17 or 18,000 people, it didn't have all the modern bells and whistles that really basically, I think, Gino Rossetti invented. And so so we could use that as a differentiating point, whether it was against uh, somebody like uh, Hamilton or any of the other bidders, you know, Milwaukee, Seattle, Portland, Houston, and the others that I mentioned. So the other thing that happened was when we got down to Palm Beach, there were 120 people with us. You know, we had bring back the senators' stickers, uh, you know, on the back of cabs in the elevators. We put them everywhere. We had the Ottawa Fire Department marching, Ben marching around, you know, 120 people saying bring back the senators. We were very committed. And we had a number of members of the Board of Governors that were really, I think, very much in favor of bringing Ottawa uh, into the National Hockey League. And one of them was Peter Pocklington. I don't know if you remember that name. I do, uh, I do. Yeah, uh, he was then the then owner of the Edmonton Oilers. And um, after you know the Board of Governors uh, closed the doors and they were deciding who they were going to admit out of these uh, nine or ten bidders, uh, they eventually decided on Tampa Bay, which became the Tampa Bay Lightning, and Ottawa, which became the Ottawa Senators. And it was about twenty minutes after the doors had closed that Peter told me later that he stood up and said, uh, I better be careful what I say here, because Peter might have used some F words in it. Uh, But I'll be darned if um, I'm going to allow some darn socialist in Toronto to tell us where we're going to put uh, teams, NHL teams. I vote for Ottawa. And everybody burst out laughing. He could be quite funny. And within about 20 minutes or half an hour, they had decided on Ottawa. It wasn't really anything more than that. It was just uh, so they reacted badly. And because I had told them, Victor that yes, we were going to struggle with our own government, and I'll give you just a, your listeners, a little bit of a flavor for that. Uh, Phil Esposito, who was, a, uh, I think, a Hall of Fame player, he was fronting the Tampa Bay bid, and, and after he got the expansion franchise for Tampa, and we got the, um, the uh, senator's uh, expansion franchise for Ottawa, he calls me up, and he's really excited. You know, I got home, and uh, the, the, the governor of the state of Florida calls me up and welcomes Tampa Bay Lightning. He said, how was your reaction when you got back to Ontario? I said, well, we got a lawsuit wow it's kind of a difference you know between canada and the united states in in some ways so uh, mr ray and his people decided to oppose us and they took us to the ontario municipal board which is now the tribunal system where they were going to put the, the palladium land use uh on trial basically it turned out to be a 13 and a half week trial in that summer of 1991 and um and I was on the, the witness stand for three and a half days being, you know, cross-examined, which if you've ever been in that position, it's a tough, uh, tough road. And, uh, and so after 13 and a half weeks and another couple of months of deliberation, finally, we were able to defeat the Ontario government and we got approval for the new building. But I had told the NHL... That fortunately in Ontario we have an independent tribunal system then called the Ontario Municipal Board and all of those uh, people uh, had been appointed either by liberal administrations or conservative administrations that had come before Mr. Ray so I thought we had a very good chance of winning that and, and we did and one of the things I did Victor was I asked the NHL to put three conditions in our, condi- our franchise agreement just like you have conditions when you're buying a house you know financing, building inspection whatever else goes in there, you have conditions in this agreement. And I said, could you please put in a condition that, number one, we pay you 50 million US dollars. That was an easy one for the NHL to put in. Number two, that we sell 10,000 season tickets. And number three, that we make significant progress on the rezoning. And they said, do you really need those other two conditions? Because at that point, they were only interested in getting their 50 million bucks, I think. And I said, no, I need those conditions. So I can go to the marketplace and say, look, unless we have 10,000 season tickets, so, you know, we can't qualify. And so fortunately for us, uh, we, we, we achieved that goal in 10 days in December of 1990. And the other condition, I was able to show the the three uh, uh, chair people who were or jurors or whatever, judges, I guess, uh, on the OMB, look, if I don't make significant progress on this uh, building, the Palladium, the NHL has the right to take away our franchise, so please help us. And, and they did.
0: I love that. I love that. And of course, the Ottawa Senators in Ottawa has been a great story over the years. It's changed hands a couple of times. At one point, I think there's a powerful lesson on currency arbitrage. Uh, here and was ultimately, I guess, your downfall with the Ottawa Senators, yeah. and, and pushed the the team into bankruptcy. Tell us a bit yeah, about that.
1: Yeah, yeah. I mean, so a well known story. Uh, you know, I had to restart my career. Unfortunately, not from zero, but from a negative position when I was age fifty four. I mean, I had a wonderful career. I I had a, built a great uh, company. It was very successful, very profitable. But a few things happened. Number one. Uh, We had to write down, after Mr. Ray decided to oppose the rezoning of not just the Palladium lands, which is about 100 acres where the building is, Canadian Tire Centre now, but the other 500 acres that we needed to sell in order to pay for the franchise. So we had to take, Terrace Investments Limited had to take the parent company of the senators or the first parent company. We had to take an $80 million write down on our land values. And so that was a, a, a big setback. Then we had to take another thirty billion write down because we had to build that interchange. So we're now at about one hundred ten million billion. And, and then our first year salaries, Victor, uh, for the big team and the little team, so for the national team and also for the AHL affiliate, was $6.5 million Canadian dollars. But by the mid-2000s, not that many years later, it had uh, jumped to $85 or $86 million dollars. You know, so imagine if you were paying the same employees that much money, you know, a decade later in your business, it it, it probably would be very difficult. And the Canadian dollar went from 90 cents when we bid for the team to, uh, I think, a low of 62 or 63 cents. And the NHL and the NHLPA in that time agreed to price all of the NHL player contracts in U.S. dollars, which was a killer for the uh, Canadian teams and especially for the Senators. So in the mid-2000s, the team went broke and I went looking for a new job
0: you know that's such a powerful story and it's one that's repeating itself over and over again you see it for example in in turkey where they borrowed tons of money uh, outside the turkish lira they they borrowed in euros they borrowed in us dollars and then when the when the lira got devalued it virtually bankrupted the country and and in your case you're collecting tickets at the gate in canadian dollars and paying your players in us dollars and now, all of a sudden, your revenue versus expense, your your income statement is upside down.
1: Yeah, and it's worse than that, uh, Victor. I, you know, I was on the Franchise Marketing and Analysis Committee, which I think is the senior committee of the NHL. And uh, when I was sitting on that committee, we admitted uh, additional expansion franchises, including the Mighty Ducks of Anaheim, which are now the Ducks of Anaheim, which was then owned by Disney. Uh, so Disney was the initial owner of the Ducks. And Mike Eisner was the CEO of, uh, of Walt Disney Corporation at that time. So I got to know him and Wayne Huizenga, who's now passed on uh, with Blockbuster Video, and he bought the franchise expansion franchise for, for the Florida Panthers. So while I was sitting on the FMAC committee, Franchise Market Analysis Committee, I, I kept asking my colleagues, especially my U.S. colleagues, how come our... NHL television uh, revenues are so low in the United States. And I, for, for the goodness sake, I could figure it out. So I read Lex Scripta. Lex Scripta is the fancy name for the constitution of the National Hockey League. And as I was going through it, I realized why Canadian clubs are subsidizing American clubs, even though the Americans have much more money and a much stronger currency. It turns out, Victor, that in Canada, the national rights, which were then, you know, with CBC and today I think are with Sportsnet, but the national rights in Canada superseded local rights. So when a national game broadcast game, you know, Hockey Night in Canada is broadcast sort of Saturday night, all other uh, local games are blacked out. So it's the only game in town, so to speak. In the United States, it's the reverse. So if you were bidding, if you are NBC or whatever, and you're bidding for the national rights in the United States, and the Rangers... The LA uh, Kings, uh, the, the Ducks of Anaheim, uh, the Dallas Stars, the Boston Bruins, the Philadelphia Flyers are all playing that night. Their local broadcasts supersede the national rights. So what is, what is the U.S. market worth if you take out maybe 20 of the top markets? Not very much. So, so there's an inbuilt bias against Canadian squads, which is, in fact, much worse than most people know.
0: Wow. What an amazing story. Well, Bruce, there's some so many powerful lessons in this. Thank you for sharing the story. We'll definitely have you back on the show. I know there's more for us to talk about in other aspects of business, other aspects of real estate, because you're still a very active player in the real estate market. So uh, we'll be looking forward to having you back. Uh, If folks want to get in touch, if they want to learn some more, what's the best way? Well,
1: just a, one last note I will add for your viewers. I, I do some real estate investment and, and personal business for life coaching. now. I'm more of a coach now than anything else. And I help people build real estate portfolios to take care of themselves and their families for three generations. That's kind of what I do now. But one of the things I say is that if bad things happen to good people, and it happened to me, and I'm sure it could happen to anyone, you have three days. The first day, you could be mad. The second day, you could be sad. But the third day, get a little bit of exercise, get up and get on with the rest of your life. And it didn't take me three days to get over the bankruptcy of the sins. It took me two. So that is kind of my message. But if they'd like to get a hold of me, probably the best way, Victor, is just to email me. I'm on my email all the time. It's Firestone at century21.ca.
0: I love it. Well, thank you, Bruce. Thanks for sharing the story. Definitely reach out to Bruce at bruce.firestone at century21.ca. And in the meantime, have an awesome rest of your weekend. Go make some great things happen. We'll talk to you again tomorrow.